The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to another week of UK sports conversation here on the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Coming up today, we will visit with Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News, who normally joins us on Fridays to talk college basketball, but uh, Friday being Christmas Day when we uh, had a pre-recorded show, and then the same coming up this Friday with New Year's Day. So Mike's joining us today, and uh, John Clay from the Lexington Herald-Leader will be our guest in the first half of the show as we get to the Wildcat News of the Day. Um, and actually, before we get into that, let me just say I hope uh, all of you guys had a, a very uh, Merry Christmas and an enjoyable and, and safe uh, holiday. Uh, our uh, thoughts and prayers are certainly with the city of Nashville. Um, just a, a blessing that the, there was uh, no great loss of life in that explosion on Christmas Day. But uh, what a story that is. Right in that area, uh, heart of downtown Nashville, where it is uh, full of Kentucky fans uh, when the SEC tournament is played there under normal circumstances. So um, we uh, hope that uh, Nashville uh, can uh, get back on its uh, feet uh, quickly uh, in that uh, part of their downtown. And the Music City Bowl, by the way, has been called off this week because of uh, COVID-19 issue for Missouri. So uh, they were supposed to play Iowa. And so, you know, now Tennessee uh, pulled out of the Liberty Bowl um, had those things happened just a little bit earlier, I think Kentucky probably would have been heading to uh, either Nashville or Memphis this week instead of uh, Jacksonville. But it is the matchup with NC State that is coming up on uh, Saturday that uh, we'll talk more about as we move through the week. Mark Stoops has a, a media session today uh, to uh, update us on what's going on with his football team. As I think they will be practicing here uh, until late in the week, whereas normally they might be down in Jacksonville already getting started today. I think they'll uh, be going just late in the week. Be a quick trip. Uh, Kentucky basketball fell to one in six on Saturday with a 62-59 loss to Louisville. Uh, it was a game where uh, Kentucky looked to be asserting control at the start of the second half, uh, fueled by the defensive play of Isaiah Jackson. Uh, jumped out to a four-point lead. And then Kentucky went, I think, about nine minutes without making a basket. They made a few free throws during that stretch, and they played uh, okay defensively. They had some issues with the Cardinal guards, but they, they didn't get too far in the hole to where they couldn't come back. So they were down seven with about you know five minutes uh, to go, and they were able to uh, make a rally, uh, got stops, uh, with some really good defensive play down the stretch, uh, made some big shots, uh, and got themselves in a position where they had uh, multiple possessions to take the lead. Uh, you got a, a wide-open look for Isaiah Jackson that uh, didn't go. You got uh, a shot for Olivier Saar that came as close to going in the basket as a ball could, could I think, with uh, without actually staying in the hoop. 
And then they uh, had a uh, a good look on a three late that didn't go for Boston, and so Louisville hangs on to win 62-59, to stop Kentucky's three-game winning streak in the series. Um, six straight games now with 64 points or less, so uh, it is certainly uh, offense that is the main issue for Kentucky. Corey Price uh, does some uh, stat work uh, for UK Athletics, and uh, always puts out some interesting nuggets of information on Twitter after games. And this is the worst at this point, worst field goal percentage for a Kentucky team since the 63 season, uh, the worst three-point percentage ever. Of course, that only goes back to the mid-'80s when the three-point shot came into play. Uh, Olivier Saar, second straight game without a field goal. Uh, Terrence Clark uh, tried to play on a, an, an ailing ankle and uh, was scoreless in the game. And uh, you had uh, Boston finally did get into double figures late, but you, for most of the game, you had almost no production from four of the guys who would normally be your starters since Clark didn't start in this game. But Clark didn't score. Uh, Saar had one point. Uh, Boston, uh, I think, finally did get to 11 with a little run late. And then uh, Isaiah Jackson uh didn't have a, a lot of offensive production but was very good defensively uh just got into foul trouble again unfortunately so a lot to talk about with our guests today as we move through the program uh one other note uh brian hudson the offensive lineman who uh, entered the transfer portal from virginia tech he's out of scott county high school he has committed to U of L. there was some thought that kentucky might uh, be able to make a run at him but uh, all the reports were that he seriously considered Louisville before he eventually went to Virginia Tech so uh, not surprising then if he uh, nearly went with the cards coming out of high school that he would end up there when he makes his transfer decision we're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio here on the Leach Reports radio network and John Clay is coming up when we return our show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Their heated patio seating is still in place, but you can go inside now, too. And they've got the DoorDash for delivery and curbside pickup. They have a new online ordering system, so go through their website, place your order, go pick it up at curbside if you can't uh, sit down and go inside at Wild Eggs in Hamburg and Palomar here in Lexington. Right back with John Clay. Go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. I'm around John Clay from the Lexington Herald Leader, KentuckySports.com. Uh, and uh, in addition to reading his work at the site, you can also listen to uh, his uh, podcast that uh, comes out regularly. I don't know, is that during ba- does it come out more frequently now during basketball season with more games, John? Uh, yeah, with the crossover between football and basketball, and yeah, more basketball games. Yeah, it'll, it'll come out more frequently. Or it has so far, and that'll, that'll probably continue, yes. <laughs> I listened to the uh, pre-Christmas edition there before the Louisville game. Got to give your colleague Jerry Tipton credit for a line that made me laugh when uh, we already knew the officials at the that, that point when, I guess, you guys recorded it, and you were all were talking about that, and uh, Jerry suggested that uh, Teddy Valentine, Doug Shows, and uh, Ron Groover would fans look at them as the three wise men. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that, that's that's a rare occurrence when fans look at officials, especially with that tech crew. <laughs> the three yes. wise men. Um, and in the, there's a, a new edition of the podcast uh, up, as I see when I go to KentuckySports.com, and I haven't listened to this one yet, but the headline says, Is Kentucky's basketball season over? So tell us, John, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not over. Uh, I know some fans are saying it's over. 
And, you know, I've had uh, from a couple of people saying, you know, they just can't they can't stand to watch this anymore. It's just too hard to watch. They're giving up. You know, I'll see you again next season. Uh, to me, this is uh, like so many things this year. Uh, in 2020, it's unprecedented for Kentucky. It's not unprecedented, but you got to go all the way up back to, I think, 1911 or something like that uh, when they were 1-6. It's going to be interesting. To me, it's going to be very interesting to see if they can get it turned around. Uh, you know, what happens the rest of the way? It's almost like a mystery novel that they're trying to solve a mystery, and I want to see if they can do it or not. So I don't think it's over, but I think some fans think it's over. Uh, I think of the Bob Seeger line on mysteries, working on mysteries without any clues. Uh, they're uh, a little short on clues to solve the mystery at the moment offensively, it seems like. Yeah, offense is definitely the problem. I mean, uh, I, looked, uh, I looked up yesterday and I wrote about this in my column. Uh, if you go back, uh, Ken Pomeroy, who's the stats guru for college basketball analytics, if you go back, he started his site in 2002 with the 2001-2002 season. If you go back to John Calipari's Memphis teams back then, uh, up until he, the time he took over Kentucky and through his time at Kentucky, this so far anyway is his worst offensive team. He had a team in Memphis that was close uh, uh, by the end, of, and of course those ratings rankings were at the end of the year. Uh, but yeah, they're just having a hard time putting the ball in the basket. The shooting percentage is low. The efficiencies low. The assist to turnover ratio is you know is not good. Uh, three point shooting is not good, and and their free throw shooting. Uh, I thought they could have been helped. If they'd hit a few more free throws, obviously, on Saturday, that's the big mystery. How, how can you get the offense straight out? How can you get it to where they can start, you know, making shots? And even now when they get good looks, I thought Olivier Sars shot. I know a lot of people think the ball should have gone to Mintz. It did go to Mintz, uh, but he had two defenders on him. He gave it up to uh, Sar. I thought he got a good look at the basket. The ball did everything but go down through the net. It spun around, spun around, and then came out, which has kind of been the story of the season so far. Yeah, I mean, that's as I said earlier, that's about as as close to a shot going in the basket as you could get without it actually staying in there. Um, and I understand the the uh, the questions about men's. I asked Cal on, after the game, uh, were there opportunities to have – uh, gotten him shots, and uh, he talked about the fact that you know Louisville knew he was hot too, and and so they slant their defense toward him, which is which is true because Davian's not the guy that is uh, you know you just give the ball and clear out a side for him. He's more of a catch and shoot guy. That's where he was making his buckets, and it is easier to take that kind of guy away. Right, and somebody who can cr- uh, create his shots more off the dribble, which uh, yeah uh, yeah you're right. Davian's more of a catch uh, catch and shoot. Uh, type of guy, um, and I thought, you know, I thought uh, Cal said in the post game Zoom conference with us that you know there were two options. It was Davion and then Olivier. Two guys went with Davion, so he gave up the ball to Olivier. I, I don't see how you can fault. Other than the fact that he didn't go in, I don't see how you can fault the last shot. Now, obviously, Sar is a very big mystery. I mean, he scored twenty two against Notre Dame. He does not have a field goal since then. The last two games, foul trouble has been part of the problem, but uh, he. he to me, he just doesn't look like he's aggressive enough. Maybe he doesn't feel comfortable yet. Maybe they haven't done a, um, and maybe they haven't done a really good job of getting him the ball where he needs to get the ball. Uh, but he's got to be more aggressive. He's got to be more of a factor. If they can get this thing turned around, I think a lot of it's going to have to be Olivier Sarr is going to have to be the player that we all thought he was going to be coming over from Wake Forest, the guy who made third team All ACC and played really well at the end of the year for Wake Forest. Yeah, and uh, we've seen just glimpses of that so far. I would have, uh, and I too, I will say, would like to have, would love to have seen a, a way to get Davy on a look there because he was playing well. So I understand the the frustration there, but um, with 
uh, you've got a, a player that uh, is not uh, one who is is as adept at creating off the bounce. So as I said, you could take that away a little bit with Sar. He uh, certainly is not the most physical guy in the world. And, um, you know, I think teams, North Carolina was a very big and, and physical team. And I think Louisville certainly, um, you know, has, has watched the tape, not surprisingly, and, uh, you know, plays him physically, tries to force him a little further out, you know, catching the ball, that kind of thing. The the answer to all of this, to all of these problems, ideally would be, you know, a guy like B.J. Boston taking over the game. And he's just not there yet. No, that no, you're exactly right. Uh, I went back and looked last night. I think Boston is he ended up with 11 points. He was uh, three of 11 from the field. His three baskets, I think one came on a tip in, one came on a fast break basket, and another one I believe came off a rebound. Uh, he, there were no shots there where he made anything from the perimeter. There were no shots there where he, you know, created his own shot and made or made a field goal. Uh, yeah, he's got to be. He was the highest rated guy coming in. He's gotten off to a slow start. It's not that he's played terribly. I think he may have scored in double figures every game. I'm not sure I'd have to go back and look. But he just hasn't, like you mentioned, he just hasn't really taken over a game. He hasn't uh, created shots. And, you know, to be fair, uh, you know, Terrence Clark has been hurt. I think those two guys can play off each other. Uh, Clark obviously was uh, was not himself on Saturday, you know, and didn't play well. Um, but yeah, it would definitely help. Obviously, would help if anybody could step up and take over a game offensively. And you feel like Boston's got the capability to do that. We just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, he they he was ex- somewhat expected to be fairly or unfairly, and and I think maybe they need him to be uh, this team's Jamal Murray, Malik Monk, that mm-hmm. you know, big time perimeter scorer that uh, can get you a bucket. Um, and he's, as I said, just not there yet. No, and, and you know, it, this, it comes back to the head coach. I mean, it, and Cal has said that. I mean, uh, he's responsible. Uh, it's These are his players that he recruited, he coached, and for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to get them to, uh, you know, to uh, uh, to produce the way I'm sure he thought that they could produce. I, I go back, you know, talking about the physical thing for a second, I go back to something that Jimmy Dyke said early on, and Jimmy had talked about that, you know, uh, being the pro day, and that he talked to Cal about practices, and uh, Jimmy talked about how, you know, really likes the length on this team, thinks they're long, could be a good defensive team. But Jimmy said the one thing that kind of worries, uh, that I got the impression that Cal told him to worry him is that they were not physical. They're not a physical team. And, uh, and the thing Cal said about the Kansas game, that we got punked by Kansas. Uh, I think he's got some players who can be physical, even though Isaiah Jackson is not the, you know, he's, he's pretty lean. I think he can play physical. He certainly plays a lot of energy. And I like Lance Ware. I think he plays yeah. with aggressiveness. I think he's energy. He's, you know, he's not maybe not as skilled as some of the other guys, but I think he gives him a lift because of that when he's in the game. No, he's definitely a more physical player. And, and Toppin's been a bit of a revelation, a guy who was, yeah. uh, we thought, all thought was going to be redshirting this season. Right, yeah. And he, he, to me, and maybe this just goes from us talking to him, he seems like he has a little more maturity than some of the other kids because he a little, he is a little older. He has played before. But, yeah, I think he needs to get more time because when he's been in the game, he's been productive. Quick break here, and we'll come back with uh, more from John Clay of the Lexington Herald-Leader, KentuckySports.com. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. 
27 past the top of the hour. Todd Clay is with us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Um, the Dante Allen topic is, uh, if they could narrow Twitter down just to the Commonwealth of Kentucky, I, I guess that would be number one trending in the uh, in the Commonwealth. Uh, what's your take on the Dante Allen debate? Uh, well, I'm... I'm... <laughs> I have a mixed take. Uh, you know, I understand, you know, Kentuckians like to see Kentucky kids uh, play for Kentucky, play basketball for Kentucky. I understand that. Uh, I do think that uh, uh, sometimes that's kind of overblown. Uh, you know, I think as you, you go back to the old coaches saying, you know, if you listen to the fans too much, you'll end up sitting by them. Uh, and I am not at practice every day. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't see what John Calipari sees at practice. There's a lot of things that go on in practice. There's a lot of things that go on off the court that we don't see. So, and he did commit three turnovers, I think, in four minutes against Georgia Tech. Uh, on the other hand, I can also see why when you're having trouble scoring, having trouble putting the ball in the basket, and that is not takes Allen rep- Allen's reputation that he can shoot, that he can score, that he can put the ball in the basket. It's hard to understand why he doesn't get, at least get a look, uh, especially when he's the only scholarship player who didn't play uh, for you in the Louisville game. Uh, so, um, uh, that sounds like a cop out answer, and it probably is something of a cop out. But I, I'm kind of per- I am I am among those who's perplexed by why Cal keeps saying he's going to get his chance. He's going to get his chance, uh, and I know I understand somewhat Cal's reasoning about it. he wants to give the guys who he believes are his better players some some leeway that they won't that they're uh, you know can miss shots and not get jerked out of the game and hurt their confidence. But when you're one in six and you're going into SEC play, and it's a real question as to whether you're going to be able to come up with enough wins to make the uh, NCAA tournament, uh, how much rope are you going to give those guys? John, uh, we appreciate the uh, time as always. Uh, hope it was a uh, Merry Christmas from the Clay household, and, a, and will be a very happy New Year. Same to you, Tom. I appreciate you having me on. That's John Clay. You can uh, read him at KentuckySports.com and uh, check out the latest edition of uh, his podcast. I think it's he and uh, Mark Story talking about the UK L game as well as previewing the bowl game. Uh, we'll talk more Kentucky basketball coming up in the second half of the show with Mike DeCourcy next here on the Leach Report. We'll do that on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. It's a family-run operation from Christian County, Kentucky, and they grow the hemp in their fields, and then they process it on-site into a variety of products. CBD oil, hemp seed oil, hemp-infused hand sanitizer, all those kinds of things. But they're more than CBD. They're trying to educate folks on the importance of the hemp industry to Kentucky. So check them out on all the social media platforms, YouTube in particular, for their videos. We'll be right back on The Leach Report. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. From the Clark's Pump and Shop studio, it's the second half of the Leach Report. And Mike DeCourcy joins us from SportingNews.com, the Big Ten Network. You also see him on uh, Fox Sports College Basketball Coverage as their bracketologist. And if you follow on Twitter at TSN Mike, uh, you will know that he is quite the Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So, big win for your Steelers yesterday. Uh, it was it was really something to see. I I would never have expected a turnaround like that. I just hoped they could play a little better, and then to to be able to come back from twenty four seven down was was one of the most amazing things I've seen in a very long period of time of, of following that team. 
for a team that had really been struggling offensively. And in one of your tweets, I noticed you uh, were responding to, to somebody about how the offense came alive, and you said you tweeted, confidence is the most underrated element of sports. And in the context of a struggling Steeler offense and that particular tweet, I uh, the, the Kentucky basketball bubble popped into my head. Yes, uh, understandable. And you can see that with them. And that's kind of you know one of the things that, that we've been talking about for weeks about the challenge that was presented to this particular team by the combination of of the schedule, which was in their control to some extent, and the absence of Keon Brooks, which obviously was not, and to not have to not have his ability and his leadership, what whatever level that might have provided, uh, to, to go against the schedule that has been almost universally against high-level opposition. It's, it's turned out to be a very difficult combination for him, and I think John eventually on, on Saturday acknowledged that it was a mistake uh, with this particular team to, to go as hard as they did, given the, what, they're, what they're locked into. You're, you're obviously locked into that Louisville game on Saturday, and you're locked into the Champions Classic and the CBS Sports Classic, and then later on, you'll be locked into that SEC game, SEC Big Twelve game, and with all that, they needed they needed some room to breathe, some room to grow as a team, and with no exhibitions, uh, they needed some some room to grow, and they didn't get it, and and you can see the result. They still are they're playing competitive basketball against teams that are going to be in the NCAA tournament. I mean, uh, it, I, I I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, Tom, but. If you look at Texas Tech, they have beaten almost no one. They have a one-point win over Oklahoma, and then they have beaten almost no one. And their, and their other claim to fame is that they played Kansas close. They didn't play them any better than U.K. did. In fact, U.K. probably did a better job. I mean, they, U.K. had a four-point lead inside the final five, five and change. And so I think that, that that's going to continue to punish this team. I don't know whether or not the SEC – uh, being not elite uh, will make a difference. They, eventually, maybe they start to break through and win some games and start to understand that they can, and and then maybe that feeds on itself a little bit. But I, I don't know whether the, the what they lost through the non-conference can be regained, that level of confidence and precision that you need in order to be successful. He's actually uh, talked about the schedule a good bit prior to even what he said on Saturday uh, around here. Uh, and right. it has become a, a point of frustration with, with fans who say that uh, going into this last game or going into last week, the two ranked teams they'd played were Kansas and North Carolina. I understand the the fan argument from that standpoint uh, that these are teams that you know Kentucky should have been able to, to find a win or two against. Uh, but I also understand what you're talking about, and and Cal is that for a team that were, was this new, normally in a non-pandemic year, you would have had some, you know, what I would call gimme games, or you can play bad and, and still win and learn and win, uh, and they didn't have any of those. And uh, for a a team that is this new, that then also hadn't been able to have its one experienced guy, Keon Brooks, on the floor uh, in a pandemic. Um, and then you, you had staff turnover. You know, 
guy like Kenny Payne, who uh, helped recruit a lot of these guys. You know, you have co- very good new coaches, but they didn't have the relationship with these guys that you know Kenny did through recruiting them. So that's even uh, you know a lot of things going on here that have converged to get them to this point. Absolutely, no question. And and uh, you can say, well, you should beat a Georgia Tech and uh, or, or or Notre Dame or whomever. Uh, but the the point is that you in in playing against teams that are not high level. I mean, I don't know whether Texas Tech fans are yelling at their team that they haven't beaten anybody, but they haven't. I, Arizona's team. I, I'm I'm working on my first bracket. There are undefeated teams out there. Washington State hasn't played a high major game yet. Washington State's undefeated. They're like eight and zero. Haven't played a single team at at, at the major level. And so I don't know whether they're good or bad. But I know their, I know their fans aren't yelling at them. They're eight and zero. So it's it, it, it sort of works into how do you learn how to win, but also to a point, John hasn't been able to figure out who his winners are because they're not winning. You, you, you run a play on Saturday that results in a wide open jumper for a guy who can make a shot in, in Olivier Saar, but also a guy who hadn't made a shot in three games. So it was it was a wide open shot. It was, a guy, it was to a guy who was 0 for 3 in that game, and I believe went 0 for in the Carolina game before that. So I, was that the right way to go in that game? I, you, they, like I said, you, the play got a wide-open shot from a guy who we know can make a 12-footer with anybody that, that's ever played the game. Uh, but he didn't make it, and it was, it was really following the trend of what hadn't worked to that point in the previous two games. And that and it takes me back to Notre Dame when that's exactly the shot that I thought they should have got because he had played well in that game and, and he was really confident in that game. But instead they wound up with Brandon Boston uh, with the ball in his hands having to make a decision at the end of Notre Dame. And so that's those are the things that happen because you haven't gotten in the habit of winning and you and and the players don't know how to win and the coach doesn't necessarily know how to win with those players. Chatting with Mike DeCorsi from SportingNews.com. We'll take a break, come back and continue the discussion in just a moment. Here on the Leach Report Radio Network, we are served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. It is the Leach Report Radio Network on the Clark's from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio, and Mike DeCourcy's on the line with us talking college basketball. And as we mentioned, he does the brackets for Fox Sports' college basketball coverage. You mentioned you were working on your first one now. Uh, you were talking about schedules, and um, you mentioned Texas Tech, and I just punched them up. There's seven non-conference games prior to getting into conference play. Uh, they lost to Houston by 11. Their wins were over Northwestern State, Sam Houston State, Troy, Grambling State, Abilene Christian, and Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. So let's say Kentucky and Texas Tech go through their leagues, and they both win two-thirds of their games. So for Kentucky, that would be 12-6 and six in the SEC. So that would mean they would uh, you know, have uh, uh, 12 losses, um, 13 wins, and then you get the Texas game, so they could be, you know, 14 and 12 or 13 and 13. Uh, Texas A&M's record's going to look a lot better, but if they did similarly in conference, will the committee 
take into account those differences in the non-conference schedules that uh, are so drastically different for some teams in this year? Typically they do, uh, and, and it's going to be interesting because in, in, in the circumstance we're talking about, it, it's hard to find a metric, at least at this point, that really gives you any clear handle on the season that's happening. Uh, the the duplication of the net that I that I follow, and the, the official net, the NCAA's net, hasn't been released yet. Usually they release that uh, early in the season, but they've chosen not to, and I think for obvious reasons with all the cancellations and postponements and such that they want to see how it looks before they put it out there. And, but the duplication that I see is it, 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 it's all over the map, and I, I don't know what to think of it. I, I I, it's it, it it I mean you the new duplication I use has Arizona as the number fourteen team, um, although they've essentially beaten no high major teams. Uh, it has Dayton as the number three team. Uh, it, there 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 are just things here. The Duke is number number six. The Duke is three and two. I mean, there's just some very strange things. And of course, you look at Ken Palm. Uh, and and his numbers are are terrific, but again, there there are things in there that are are built in. I mean, Kentucky Kentucky's Ken Palm rating isn't bad, uh, which I think is partly built into uh, his preseason formula, uh, and not necessarily reflective of how they've performed so much. So it's it, it's it's a there, it's really hard to find a metric, and I'll be very interested when we get to March whether. That will work itself out. Whether the absence or, or diminishment of non-conference competition will make it difficult for any metric even to get a handle on the season. Back to the Wildcats, and um, there are fan criticisms uh, that uh, Cal's not adapted to uh, changing trends in college basketball with respect to three-point shooting. I think, in particular, um, valid criticism or not. Well, I think with this particular team, they had, they didn't emphasize it enough. I think that's fair. Uh, but I, I, I watched the NBA Finals. I, I know you did, Tom. Um, uh, I, I remember a UK product who was on the, the last team that played in the NCAA tournament for for uh, for UK. The last time that they played in a tournament, that, that that guy was one of the biggest stars in the NBA Finals, and he did it because he can shoot. So I think it's I think it's overblown to say that they haven't uh, over over the course of time adapted to that. They've had very good shooters. I think that we're getting a lot of revisionist criticism about, for instance, a guy like Jamal Baker. He played nine minutes a game as a freshman at UK. Tom, anybody who watched him thought that's a nine minute a game freshman at Kentucky. There was nothing wrong with him playing nine minutes. Now he thought there might be greater opportunity for him elsewhere. So he goes to Arizona. You know how many minutes he played there last year? 19. It's not like he walked off of Kentucky's roster playing nine minutes and walked on to Arizona's playing 35. I mean, he had to play 19 last year behind a freshman who wasn't great, who became a first-round pick, but didn't have a great college season. But he still didn't play a lot. And if he played at UK last year, he probably would have played 20 minutes a game because he could shoot and Johnny Juzang couldn't make any last year. So the idea that Cal somehow screwed up with Jamal Baker. Hey, he's the one who identified him, brought him in. He wasn't a high, high-level recruit. He spotted him, thought he could help UK. He got there. It was a long way from home. He wasn't comfortable or whatever. He thought maybe there was more minutes somewhere else. Whatever it was, he left, but it wasn't like I said. 
he, he did not go from being a deep reserve at Kentucky to being an instant star somewhere else. That's revisionist history, and it's not fair. Talking with Mike DeCourcy from SportingNews.com uh, on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Um, part of the problem, it seems, for Kentucky right now is that two guys who figured to be high scorers, uh, B.J. Boston and, and Terrence Clark, and in fairness to Terrence, last couple of games has been been hurt. But uh, the, I think the, the feeling was they were going to be like Fox and Monk, although admittedly Fox is a pure point guard, uh, but two you know wing guys that could score and you know drive an offense like those two guys did in seventeen. They're not there yet. Can they get there? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I two two things. One, I, I Brandon has got to start playing the game the way the best players play it. I don't see him paying attention to... You you feel like he's not watching the film. He's not listening to the coaches because he still makes makes a lot of uh, the same mistakes. Uh, He doesn't pay attention to shot selection greatly. He is a a very dynamic talent. Uh, But if you don't use that talent in a a, uh, proficient and, and efficient manner... It doesn't make a difference. I honestly thought, and I, and I said this when when we were going into uh, the point where they had to think about what to do about point guard. I think that was the Notre Dame game, prior to the Notre Dame game, and John decided to put Terrence at the point. I thought that was. I thought that if they needed to make a move there, I thought the best thing to do was was to move Davion Mintz up a little bit and make him the point guard for a while, and then hope that eventually. Devin Askew would get it. And so I think that Devin got knocked off course. Excuse me, uh, uh, Terrence Clark got knocked off course a little bit by having to become a point guard just three, four, five games into his freshman year. And now that you've seen that Devin can play that position, I think Terrence, uh, his minutes at the point should be reduced and he should be able to go back to what he came there to be. He still isn't a great shooter, but I think he can become a very dynamic attacking wing scorer and change a lot of what happens for Kentucky over the next two, three months. It's an interesting uh, dilemma, I guess, there uh, in terms of trying to get those guys going. And by all the metrics, um, their best basketball comes when Mintz and Askew play a lot together. Yeah, I think I think that that's the smart way to go. It, it, uh, now that Askew has started to play better at point, uh, you can play him, and then you can use Mintz more as a second ball handler and as a pure uh, spot-up shooter, and that will work very well. Uh, it, 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 as long as Devin continues to uh, on the course he's going, and he has continued to improve. I thought there were bright, bright spots in the Notre Dame game, and that's mostly continued. He hasn't been perfect, uh, but you wouldn't expect a freshman to be perfect. But he has he has continued to ascend from the depths of the Georgia Tech game uh, and and all that preceded it. He's continued to show that that there was something there and and that he can be a player. And I think that that's that's your primary point guard moving forward. If if it was my decision, uh, Isaiah Jackson certainly uh, gave us a glimpse of the the force that he is and that first part of the second half Saturday. We saw it certainly against Kansas. He's just got to be able to stay on the floor longer. Got to stay on the floor. And then offensively, I, I think they have to avoid putting him in positions um, where, at least at this point, where where they are relying on him to uh, to attack off the bounce in the post. I don't think he's he, – he, 
he understands the things college defenders will do to him there, all the flopping and that sort of thing. Uh, he gets frustrated by that. that that's a lot of, uh, of what you're talking about in terms of staying on the floor. He's committing offensive fouls trying to back people down in the post. Uh, if he doesn't have a clear move on, it, on the initial catch, he needs to have someone available to him so that he can get rid of it, repost, and try again. The bouncing the basketball has cost him a lot of offensive fouls and some and some other sorts of turnovers as well. Yeah, they had actually uh, had a pretty low turnover game, especially when you consider that several of were offensive foul turnovers on Saturday. They've uh, gotten a better handle on the turnover issue. Still too low on the assist point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the ball, and that comes from the ball not necessarily moving the way it needs to move, and that goes back a lot to, to Olivier Saar. Uh, but mostly to Brandon Boston, when the ball gets to his hands, uh, he feels like he needs to do something with it because that's what he was recruited to do. Uh, just play the game. Play the game the way you're coached to play it, and eventually your, bil- your ability will It'll shine through because he is a dynamic guy. Mike, thank you much. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Happy New Year to you as well. We'll be back to wrap it up in just a moment here on the Leach Report Radio Network. Today's Wildcat History Note presented by the Rave On app. A couple of Wildcat birthdays for former cats that we lost way too soon. Dwight Anderson, who passed this year, and uh, Melvin Turpin, who passed a few years back. Both born on this day. And uh, former Wildcat, uh, part of a championship team, Scott Court, celebrating a birthday today. Have a good one, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com. See you next time right here on The Leach